Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about making your own potassium recommendations. I don't care what crop we're talking about. It needs potassium. We'll discuss it throughout the show today. Our phone number here, if you'd like to give us a call, if you've got any questions for us, or if there's anything you'd like to talk about on your farm, uh, our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we are broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Uh, (laughs) It's cold. It's snowy outside. Wind's blowing about 40 miles an hour. So not a super fun day. And this is the reason why we talk farming every day. Because when it's the middle of the winter, it's hard to get your mind focused on the fact that, you know what? Even right here where we're at, it's we're two months away from planting. That's it. That's not a lot of time. You start subtracting out all the time you got to spend on other things like whatever it is, hauling grain, fixing equipment, you know, uh, if you're going to take a few days off, whatever it is, there aren't that many working days until we're going to be putting crop in the ground. And where you're farming, maybe those days are sooner. Maybe it's longer. But the point is, today... We want to talk about potassium a little bit and get you thinking about this very, very important topic. So when you look at a soil test, there are two main things we want you looking at with potassium. Number one is parts per million. Number two is what's the percent base saturation K. So with the base saturation test, that gives you a ratio in effect of potassium two other important nutrients, calcium, magnesium, hydrogen, and sodium. And we are looking for that potassium level to be in the 4 to 8% range with most crops. Now, if it's, let's say, a, a shelter belt, you've got a tree crop, um, we're probably talking 8%, maybe even a little more. If we're just talking, let's say it's wheat or oats and a low yield or something, then we're probably down in that 4 or 5% range. But anyway, we will discuss potassium throughout our show today. Right now, let's get to the phone lines. We've got Taylor calling in from Kansas. Taylor, how are you doing today? Do we have Taylor? No? All right. Well, uh, Janelle, why don't you check on Taylor there for us, if you would. Uh, so anyway, just it, hopefully we'll we'll get Taylor back on with us here. But a couple, lo- couple more quick things on potassium. With parts per million, and the reason why we want you looking at that, in addition to the percent base saturation K, is you've got to make sure you have enough pounds in the soil. Well, if you have a really light soil, you actually can have 4 to 8% base saturation K, but still not have enough pounds in that soil. So anyway, again, we will talk about that during our show today. Now, hopefully, we've got Taylor from Kansas on. Hey, Taylor, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Excellent. So what's your question in regards to cover crops for us? So I ran into a couple problems with getting a stand. You know, we're trying to utilize grass residual herbicides. Yep. Same time, we want to, uh, you know, get guys trying the cover crops. And I think that they're kind of being uh, antagonistic, I guess. Yep. Okay, so what what herbicides have been used and, and what cover crops are you putting in? So... The specific herbicide was Resicor, so, but I, any sort of post acetylchlor warrant, we're having problems with. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And in terms of the cover crop, uh, what what are you trying to put in? Just rye or something? Yeah, just cereal rye just to start off with, you know. Sure. Trying to pitch your idea to guys, get them to try it, and then maybe we'll work on a, a good mix. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing that I always tell people is, look, I'm well, I would like to have this great stand of cover crop. The most important thing is the cash crop. Now, I, I am assuming when we're talking cover crop, it's not going to be grazed or anything else. It's literally just there to hold soil down and, uh, you know, do a few other good things. But but my point here is simply if we sacrifice, let's say we go away from acetylcholine or away from Resicor, we sacrifice that, are we going to give up yield? And if we're going to give up yield in our cash crop, then was it worth it in the end? So that's the first thing that I always tell people to at least be thinking about. You know, with Resicor, um, you do have a couple other things in there that are going to ding up that cereal rye a little bit. The stinger in there isn't bad, uh, but the HPPD, basically mesotrione, that is going to ding up your cereal rye a little bit, and that will for sure be there in the fall. So usually acetochlor, we don't get that worried about. Uh, quite frankly, uh, after a month or two, most of the acetochlor is usually gone. So generally speaking, if a guy's using it pre or real early post, we don't have a lot of issues planting cereal rye in the fall. But the problem, like I say, is when you have other things that are also going to interact with that cereal rye, that just makes it that much more difficult. So anyway, I mean, you certainly can, if you want to, switch to, let's say, a lower rate of acetochlor or a lower rate of resicor, and then count on your post-emerge herbicide to kill more of the grass. I mean, that, that, that would be fine. Are we talking Roundup Ready corn here? Yes, correct. Okay. So it's really not that difficult. What I would consider doing is adding some Sharpen and cutting back on the acetochlor. You'll actually have better broadleaf control that way. You'll have less grass control, but you can clean up the grass pretty easily post-emerge with Roundup. So if it was me, that's what I would look for. Resicor, you got, and I'm serious, three things, especially the Stinger and Callisto, they will for sure be there hurting your cereal rye. So you've got three things that are negatively interacting with that cereal rye. So unless I really desperately needed the Resicor, I might switch over to something like Verdict and maybe spike in even more Sharpen. Uh, Verdict is just Outlook plus Sharpen. So I might do something like that because Sharpen doesn't last nearly as long, has no impact on the rye. In fact, you can use it uh, in most small grain crops. So that's probably the direction I would go and count more on your Roundup for the grass control. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, Taylor. Appreciate it. You bet. Be discussing potassium on today's program and how to make your own recommendations for that for your soils. And we'll be taking your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking a little fertility on today's program. So regardless of what crop you're raising, or even if you have a crop, maybe you just have a lawn or you just have a flower garden or a vegetable garden, today's discussion is going to be pretty important for you. We're talking about potassium, and here's one of those things that uh, I know this. I've got a lawn, too, around my house, and what kind of fertilizer do I use for lawn? The same things I'm doing out in the field, and you have to start with measuring what you've got. And potassium's a little tricky because there's a couple different measurements on a lot of soil tests. We're going to talk through that today and how to make your own recommendations wherever you're at. Real happy to have John Leaf with us right now with AgroLiquid. John, how you doing? No, good. Thank you. How are you? Good. All right. Talk to me about your lawn. Talk to me about what you got going on and any dirt that you own. I bet you're looking at potassium as one of the nutrients you're trying to manage. Oh, absolutely. Um, potassium is one of those, well, of course, it's uh, one of the big three the, of the N, P, and K, but uh, potassium is is vitally important for uh, you know the health of the plant, the reproduction of the plant. And for these perennial crops, as as a lawn, uh, it's very important for uh, uh, overwintering and uh, just the long-term health of the crop. You know, when we think about potassium, and we just are coming off of yesterday our soybean agronomy workshop, and we were talking about just a lot of different ways to get potassium into the crop and a lot of different ways to measure how much potassium there is in the field and in the crop. Uh, talk to us about that. When you, you look at soil tests, that's something that quite a few growers are doing. How about plant tissue tests? How about sap tests? Where where would be a good way for a farmer to see, you know what, it, is it really getting into my crop? Is it really making a difference? Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's a very complicated topic and, and a very good one to, to try to, to, to evaluate uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, but, um, you know, as we've talked uh, in other times, the first place to start is a good soil test report. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, what your soils have, 
we talk about base saturations. Uh, I, for most soils, I like to see at least uh, 4%, and in some of the sandier soils, I like to see at least a 6%, and balance that off with the, uh, the appropriate uh, levels of, of uh, calcium and magnesium and hydrogen as well. And that just provides the best foundation for uh, getting uh, all of your crop nutrition to work together. And then providing that uh, uh, crop available potassium uh, through, you know, of course we have uh, uh, several agro-liquid uh, potassium products such as SureK and Calibrate. And uh, then you, you work into the, the season. Um, a lot of times uh, the weather will uh, uh, have an influence on how well potassium is available in the crop. If it turns off hot and dry, a lot of our uh, heavier soils will uh, try to clamp down on the on the potassium that it has in the soil and not let it uh, be available to the crop. So uh, a good tissue testing scheme uh, will go a long way as to help uh, determine whether or not your, your crop is, uh, is uh, su sufficient or deficient on uh, potassium as well as other nutrients. You know, you mentioned one thing there that I want to dive into, dry weather. And a lot of times we look at our soils and we say, well, we've got a pretty good amount of potassium out there. And a lot of farmers are looking at their soil tests saying, you know, there is quite a bit of potassium, but yet I run short in the middle of the summer when soybeans are trying to fill pods and when corn is really trying to make that ear and it costs me in yield. The crop looked great and all of a sudden I couldn't get the potassium I needed. So what do you do with that? And and you mentioned you've got some potassium products that AgriLiquid has. How do you keep that potassium from getting tied up or where do you place it so you could try to overcome some of those issues? Well, um, we have a lot of different places that we can uh, put our, our uh, agro-liquid products. Uh, in furrow or two-by-two two applications of planting is always a great starting point. But in season, uh, like we were just discussing, if the weather turns hot and dry, um, uh, sometimes you need some, some supplemental potassium. We've had a lot of uh, success uh, in corn, for example, at uh, putting that on uh, through a, a wide drop or other side dress type of, uh, of application. Uh, one to two gallons uh, per acre has generally netted us anywhere from eight to ten bushels um, per acre on corn. And our sure can be applied as a foliar application on soybeans. And we've seen some, some very nice results with that as well. And um, so there's, there's several different in-season opportunities for uh, getting that, uh, that potassium uh, into that crop, especially in that uh, drier conditions where it may not be as available through the soil. We talk a lot about corn and soybeans and wheat on the show. I know you get to work with a bunch of different crops. Is potassium just super important no matter what crop you're raising? Yes, absolutely. Um, certainly corn and soybeans are the ones that, uh, that we concentrate on a lot. Uh, but if you uh, venture off into, you know, uh, sugar beets or uh, any of the annual vegetable crops or the perennial fruit crops. Uh, you know, potassium is a huge driver for both yield, quality, and uh, the general health of the, of the plant. And I'm thinking like uh, fruit trees, for example. It's vitally important to keep uh, good potassium levels for them. 
All right. One thing that, that we found, too, as we've gotten to work with farmers just all over, that when we get nitrogen in ratio with our potassium way off, so we're putting on a ton of nitrogen, we don't have enough potassium out there, we end up with all kinds of growth and weak stalks, and, and we have all kinds of problems in the field. How, how are you, What are you seeing out there when, when you're looking with farmers at their fields where you say, wow, I can tell you right now before I see any test numbers, you need more K? Well, um, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, stock strength is a big deal. Um, if, if you're starting to see uh, any kind of lodging or whatever, that's that's a real good sign that, that something's off and potassium is a, uh, is a strong possibility. Uh, we'll often see uh, just some, some basic uh, deficiency symptoms. The uh, outsides of the, of the leaves start to have a yellow ring around it and it works its way to the inside. Um, so, and then another little trick that I've heard of, I haven't explored it myself a lot, but, uh, in a corn plant, for example, if the, uh, stock is more oval than it is round, that might also be an indication that, uh, uh, potassium, um, may be an issue. And that also, uh, plays with some of the other nutrients, uh, such as calcium as well. Yeah, great tips there. Uh, we're talking with John Leaf with AgroLiquid. We've actually put together a nutrient deficiencies app. We worked with the folks with AgroLiquid on that. So check that out if you're looking for what what do nutrient deficiencies look like in the field and a variety of crops. Got some great pictures and some more data right there for you. John, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information today and good luck to you here heading towards spring. All right. Thank you very much. Talking about potassium on today's program, and specifically, we're going to talk a little about making your own potassium recommendations, but our phone lines will be open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We had a number of questions come in yesterday during the Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop, and and one thing, Brian, that, that I had talked to a few folks there about is, wow, I can't believe how much potassium soybeans need and I just haven't been putting on that much fertilizer in the soybean part of my rotation, I think I've been missing the boat on this K. Yeah, when we bumped our potassium levels significantly on our farm, that's when our soybean yields went up. And I'll say, too, it's a little challenging when you're fertilizing for soybeans. For whatever reason, they don't always seem to respond to applied fertilizer immediately. I mean, don't get me wrong, it definitely helps. We've been strip-tilling a lot of potassium down below where we planted our beans, and that that is important. But I'm just saying, with potassium, especially if you have a heavier soil, you can consider building up your overall soil profile and then every crop from then on out reaps the rewards. Now, I'll just tell you, we were super lucky on our farm. We had the the driest and longest fall that we've ever had in the history of our state this fall. So what we did is we just kept applying fertilizer. We kept going and going and I, I told our guys, well, potassium's really cheap and I want to get these K levels for once and for all, up to 6 and 7% on most of our fields. So we did it, and we spent a ridiculous amount of money on fertilizer, but I'm so thankful that we did. That fertilizer is going to be there until our crop uses it uh, at some point in the future. Well, we'll continue talking about K and answering your questions right after this. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. 
all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking fertility again today. And one of the cool things about that is when we look at nutrients in soil, it applies to whatever you're going to grow. So there's a lot of different crops that that could benefit from potassium, no doubt about that. It's one of the primary nutrients. We've got Alan Perry with us right now with the Farm Technologies Network uh, to talk about that a little bit. Alan, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. I mentioned that potassium is going to be important for every crop, and obviously we've got listeners from all over. You operate out of the state of Maine and certainly have some different crops up there. When you look at potassium, obviously this is a big thing, but many growers say, well, I don't really know what to believe and how to make a recommendation off my soil test. So where do you start when you get a soil test and a grower saying, how much potassium do I really need to apply? Uh there's a number of aspects to this, but the, the, the first thing to look at, the more upright and woody 
the crop is, the more potassium it needs. So on one end of the spectrum would be a maple tree uh, or nursery crops, or uh, not too far from that would be an upright corn plant that has a woody stalk. Even potatoes are big potassium users. On the other end of the spectrum would be forage hay and lettuce and spinach, that kind of thing. So um, we look at a feed-the-soil program, and we try to get our potassium to 7.5% for the really uh, hungry crops, and at least 5% on the other crops. Okay, so you talk about about the base saturation percentage, and we do get this question from growers, okay, that's kind of expensive to get there, but once I'm there, at that point, it's just crop removal, correct? Uh Yes, although we're talking about potassium in isolation, in reality, you've got to look at that in sequence with the other other elements. Uh, there's no point in having an excellent level of potassium and being calcium deficient. You've got to kind of work them together to get the best crop quality that you can get. Uh, but in general, uh, other than environmental loss, crop loss would be the biggest negative. Okay, so talk to us about potassium then. If you're working on a feed-the-soil program, I'm assuming you're talking about a lot of dry potassium sources. Do you have a preference that you're using, or are there quite a few different sources that could be good? Um, we don't cross sources off generally. Uh, one part of the country just may not have a product that is equally or easily available in another part of the country. Uh, if I had my choice... I'm going to look at potassium sulfate uh, because I get two things from it. I get potassium and I also get sulfur, which is important as well. Uh, two crops and uh, two products in one is usually good. Uh, but we got to look at uh, equipment. We got to look at availability and cost and some of those things. Um, we usually try to find a couple of sources of dry materials and a couple of sources of liquid materials that we can use during the growing season if we need to. All right. Now, you mentioned before about balance, that if you get your K really high, but you got other things that are short, well, you didn't really gain much, or or vice versa. If everything else is great and potassium's bad, well, that's going to be a limiting factor quickly. Do you run into problems if you have somebody overdo the K? Yes. Uh, the general rule is any time you have an excess of one thing, it will create create a deficiency of something else. And potassium is no exception to that. So um, too much potassium will start to tie up uh, uh, copper, zinc, manganese. Uh, if you get enough of it, you can tie up some other elements as well. So uh, too much is expensive for one thing and not very helpful on another. Now, as you're going through the season, are you are you big on tissue tests, sap tests, those types of things to watch specifically potassium? Have you found a, a good measure to see where you're at? Uh, it depends a little bit on the crop and the value of the crop as to how much money we can spend on testing. Uh, the biggest fault I have in northern Maine is that we're just a long ways from the labs, and so it costs me an extra day or two in the mail to get the sample back and forth. Uh, sometimes I just don't have that much time, so we can make some educated guesses. Uh, if we're looking at potatoes, for example, we know that we'd like to have about a pound of usable potassium for every 100 pounds of tubers what we're trying to harvest. So we can start with the soil test and then make some decisions based on the yields that we think we want or could get. Interesting. Okay. Now, as we think about potassium when we're, we're trying to work with that out in soils, 
if we're short, how long does it take to get those numbers up? When you're putting on a potassium sulfate or a potassium chloride, do you get a response year one? Is it something that takes a few years for it to come fully available? Um, it doesn't take years, uh, but it may take more than uh, 90 days for a crop. Uh, if I'm planting potatoes in May um, and I am I have half the potassium that I wish for, I'm going to apply most of that even the first day of planting, even if it doesn't totally fix itself for this crop, quicker the better. Uh, but in general, I can make a, a big difference with the crop in 30 days, but a 90-day potato crop or a 100-day corn crop, uh, most of the damage will be done in the first 45 days. So you don't have all year to fix things. But uh, if you're deficient, you might as well start trying to fill up the container yeah yeah you got to get started especially if you know you're going to be farming that ground for a while okay how about placement do you like banded fertility with potassium do you like deep placed fertility with potassium do you have preferences on where that potassium lies um in general uh i would with the feed to soil program i would like a broadcast system better than a banded system for example uh it makes the acre bigger, if you will. I want the roots to be able to, to feed from any part of the acre that they want, not just be restricted to a narrow row. Um, so the uh, broadcast would be my first choice. Uh, but we do some banding because of the equipment and because of the crop and various other things. So we're not, we're not going to cross it off. Um, but uh, we're trying to protect it from, from the water and we're trying not to overload our soil system because if I get too much potassium in a small place, now I might block out calcium and magnesium that I need for that crop as well. Yeah, yeah, that can sure be a challenge. Okay, uh, when you started off today, Alan, you mentioned the more upright and woody the crop is, the more K it needs. So you mentioned maple trees, and I just got thinking about this. We get a lot of questions from farmers that are trying to establish a tree grove or even homeowners that want to get their trees off to a good start so they can get big sooner and they can enjoy them quicker. What does it take to get trees to grow, and how high do you push that K? Um, number one thing that, that uh, won't probably come to mind, uh, when you get the tree, uh, as soon as you can know that that's the tree you're going to have, try to find the north side. It's oriented, the roots are oriented north-south, but mark it so you can plant it the same way. If you turn it around, it takes a lot of energy for that tree to reorient itself. The roots are going to be longer uh, on the north side. Um, but a nursery might do that for you. So that's number one. Try to keep, or if you're digging it up and moving it, to keep track of where north is and put it back the same way. Um, other than that, uh, one of the best products that we know of for trees uh, is, is Sulpomag or K-Mag. Um, and a mature tree could use up to five pounds per tree per year. Uh, it takes a lot of K to make the wood that's in a tree. Wow, that's interesting. Five pounds of K per year per tree that that's uh that's a good number i'd love to have a soil test to go with that before we just arbitrarily put five pounds on every tree in the country but in most cases that's still going to be okay awesome great stuff we're talking with alan perry with the farm technologies network up in maine alan thank you so much really appreciate having you on today hey my pleasure yeah, Alan's always got a lot of good information. I thought that was kind of interesting, just the comments about the trees, that when you plant them, 
Uh, keep the north side north if you could. It takes the tree some energy if you plant it a little different way. And then I also thought about the potassium. I know, Brian, we've talked about this with Neil Kinsey too, just how trees really seem to thrive when they've got more potassium. And when you have like that kind of demand, like Alan was talking about, five pounds of K per year per tree as you're getting these guys going, that's that's a big deal. And if you can get your trees healthier, they're able to tolerate a lot of the stresses, which is a good thing too. Yep, definitely. All right. So we said on our show today, we're going to talk about making your own potassium recommendations. I want to get into that just a little bit more right after our break and kind of talk you through just a few steps that we would encourage you to take. Because while this isn't like super complicated stuff, it is something that I think most farmers feel like, oh, I've got to rely on somebody outside my farm for these recommendations. So we want to talk about how you can do it yourself right after this. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Acre to acre, year to year, generation to generation, nobody scrutinizes performance like you do. And Acre to Acre, year to year, generation to generation, the consistent performance of Vasgro brand soybeans helps to keep your profitability out in front, offering leading agronomic expertise and 100% exclusive genetics for strong yield potential. Ask your dealer how much further you can grow when Asgro leads the way. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Fill once, plant all day. 
The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about potassium on the show today, and a lot of times we'll take one specific nutrient at a time and just focus on that. But I thought there were some good points made by both of our guests so far today, John Leaf and Alan Perry, that, you know what? Yep, we're looking at one nutrient at a time, but we really want to look overall and get what the balance of the soil is so we can see, all right, yeah, it's fun to talk potassium, but if you're drastically short in something else, it doesn't do you any good to get to the excellent level on potassium because that's not your yield limiting factor if you're short in something else. So we do want to look at a complete soil test. We do encourage you, no matter where you are, no matter what crop you're raising or if it's your lawn or whatever, do a complete soil test with micronutrients, with base saturation percentage, soil pH, cation exchange capacity, the whole works. That way you've got an idea of what's going on and where you're going to get the best return on investment. I want to jump to the phone lines here. We've got Lane with us right now down in Missouri. Lane, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? We're doing pretty well. We got some soil tests here from your farm that we're looking at. I'm assuming you want to talk about those. Yeah, we do. Uh, we just got this farm here a few weeks ago. Right after getting our hands on it, we decided to go ahead and get it uh, sampled on one acre grids. And we got the report back here a couple days ago, and uh, it's just got a little bit of everything going on. It's just kind of a tough question of where to start on a farm like this. All right. Now, you you did mention that irrigation may be a possibility for this field, too? Yep. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be this year or maybe next, but hopefully in the next year or two, it it will receive a pivot, hopefully. Well, Lane, I think you said the key thing there. You have a lot of different stuff going on. And that's what we commonly see with soil tests is there's a lot of variability. So I'm just looking even at the first page here and in 10 samples, you've got a pH as low as 5.7 and a pH as high as 7.6. That's just on the first page. So the point is we want to treat that 5.7 pH ground a little bit differently than the 7.6 ground. And, you know, when you say, all right, well, where do I start? Where we always start is pH. And when we've got those low pH spots, like a 5.7, we're going to want to get that well, addressed. I, I think just to be fair, Lane, where we do start is we start with drainage. We want to make sure that we have good drainage out there. You mentioned that it's it seems to be a pretty well-drained field. And then irrigation, if that's a possibility, and that's something that's providing some value in that area, then of course we'd look at irrigation. We'd look at any dirt work, things that need to be done and fixed. But yes, then when we dive into the fertility side of things, we look at soil pH and start there. Yeah, because honestly, when I see 25 to 30 CEC in some spots, that tells me you've got some really heavy soil. Yeah, and in other spots, we've got eight or nine CEC. So we got a lot of variability out there. Right. And that's why it's really nice to have small grids at least once or twice. We're not saying long-term you have to do that many soil tests, but the one time, boy, it's really helpful when you pick up new ground. So anyway, do you have any specific questions for us? Uh, I mean, is there anywhere you wanted to go? Uh, Well, 
I guess, yeah, the pH was the number one thing that kind of caught my eye because it is yep. all over anywhere from, I think, like the low, mid fives to up, the upper sevens. And then a couple other things is, one, the sulfur is pretty bad, actually really yep. bad across the entire farm. I think it the is. average is like five yep. parts per million. Yep. And then also we got a tie up of phosphorus, it looks like, on the P2 for a lot of it. Um, at least that's what I'm seeing. I'm wondering if that isn't partially because of the sulfur or if yep. it isn't also because of the iron that's out there also. Yeah. Okay. So some good questions. First of all, when we're looking at these soil tests and we see single digit levels on sulfur, yes, that's absolutely too low, but it's also super easy to fix. You just apply ammonium sulfate or, you know, for some guys that need calcium, they'll throw some gypsum out. Or, I mean, there are plenty of sources of sulfur. Every micronutrient practically you can buy with uh, with sulfur. So yes, you absolutely want to get some sulfur out there. Will that help with your phosphorus and bringing that a little more, uh, bringing a little more availability there? Yes, it will. So I'm not all that worried about that. That, that part we can fix very easily. Uh, but yeah, then I start looking at some of these other micronutrients. You know, zinc is really low. We've got a whole bunch of it that's less than two parts per million. We look at your iron levels. Well, I, I think you're worried about maybe excess iron. I'm really not. You know, if we see 50 or 100 parts per million of iron, that's just fine. I'm not that concerned about that. Uh, copper, though, we do have some areas that are less than two parts per million. In those areas, we're probably going to want to get some more copper out there. But you also have other areas where we've got uh, three or four parts per million. So again, that's why it's really nice having these uh, small grids. So now you can put the money where you need to put the money rather than just doing some blanket approach to copper or something like that because copper doesn't leach. And that's the big difference when we start talking about copper and zinc and phosphorus, they're not going anywhere. Whereas sulfur and boron and nitrogen are. So sulfur, boron, and nitrogen are things that we need to apply pretty much every year, no matter what. It's just a question of how much do we put on a little bit or a lot. Okay. And then I guess I have one more question. For sure. some of these pHs, yes. uh, going back to the pH question, yep. so for some of it, would it be okay? I mean, we're thinking elemental sulfur on the stuff that's a little high, and we're thinking lime on the stuff that's a little low, because I don't know, I'm not sure if the gypsum's going to really affect the pH nope. much, if anything at all. Is it? That's right. Okay, so First of all, let me ask you, are we talking corn and beans or what crops? Yes, this is going to be soybeans this year. It was, it's was it been on a corn-soy rotation for the last four years. Yep. Prior to that, it was soybeans for about 30. Here's the reason why I ask. There are certain crops, like let's take alfalfa. If you said, well, I'm going to go to alfalfa as often as I can in the next 20 years, I would tell you get that pH up as close to 7 as absolutely possible. <laughs> but when it's corn and soybeans, anywhere in the sixes, quite frankly, is going to be just fine. So there's no way I'm putting one drop of lime on anything or one pellet of lime on anything that is six or above. So only lime if it's down in the fives or less. And in terms of the elemental sulfur thing, if you've got some in the sevens, I'm not going to tell you to put much on, but if you put 50 or 100 pounds of elemental sulfur on, that's fine. You need the sulfur anyway. So what I usually will tell people is, look, you got low sulfur, so you can pick between sulfate and elemental sulfur. The elemental sulfur is a slower release, but the nice thing with elemental sulfur is it will lower the pH at least a little bit. 
So yes, that would absolutely help you. That's exactly what we do. But I probably wouldn't put any elemental sulfur on until I get that pH up to seven or above. And then I'm not going to get carried away because elemental sulfur is expensive. One last thing I'll tell you in elemental sulfur, we were talking about this on a radio show yesterday too. And I just had made the comment, look, if you want to buy elemental sulfur, make sure that you find some that has a very small particle size. And I had, I gave the example of, well, I'll just tell you this. If it was me, I would try to find three different sources of elemental sulfur and just get a little sample of each. Put it in a jar of water and then shake it up. Come back the next day. Shake it up. Come back the next day. Shake it up and do that for quite a few days and then you'll see. We have some that where we did that and it's in our office right now that we've had for two years Two years, sitting in water for two years, and you shake it up today, and it still sounds like rocks in there. Okay, now, did that break down and come available? No way. So why would you ever buy a product like that? And that's the whole point. Now, if you call three fertilizer dealers and say, yeah, well, what do you have for elemental sulfur? Does it have a fine particle size? I'll bet you that every single one of them is going to go, yeah, I don't know. This is just what we have. And that's the problem. I wish there was some kind of standard with grades of elemental sulfur, but there isn't as far as I know. So the only thing I know to do is just get some samples, put it in water, shake it up, do that for a few days, and just see which one of them actually dissolves. That's probably the one you want to buy. All right. Okay. That's all I have for you. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call, Lane. Appreciate it. Yep. Bye. Yeah, Lane's soil tests are exactly the reason why we talk about going with small grid sizes or small zone sizes so much because the variability here is almost unbelievable. If I took, I, I, I mean, well, one. How, you know how we get variability like that too, Brian? Broadcast applications. Well, part hey, of that. Let's broadcast 200 pounds of this part. across the whole field. And then in some parts of the field, we raise 200 bushel corn and others we raise 50. Part. But, I mean, let's keep in mind, he has some CEC in the same field where it's 32 and then 8. Okay, well, if you've got a 32, that's super heavy, unbelievably heavy. You've got an 8, that's really light. That's in the same field. We have some of that going on, too. So there's that. Plus, yes, I agree with you 100%, Darren. If we aren't splitting stuff, it makes it tough, and eventually we got some real problems. Well, we're going to get back to talking about potassium right after this. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with high striker treated nitrogen. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. 
That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting live from the Morton studio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're talking potassium today, and I had told you a little bit earlier we wanted to get specifically into these recommendations. I'll just say this. Darren mentioned it already, but we really encourage you get a good soil test. We want to find out either parts per million or pounds per acre. Either way, we're basically talking the same thing. We can always convert parts per million over to pounds. But then the other thing we want to look at is base saturation potassium. What kind of ratio do we have of potassium to magnesium, calcium, sodium, and hydrogen? So that's number one. Do that first. Then number two, look at how much your crop actually needs. We, you can pull up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. It's a free download for your smartphone or your tablet. I'm doing that right now as we speak. And so just plug in whatever crop it is and whatever your yield goal is. So just for example, with corn, let's say I put in 250 bushel corn. That I need 63 pounds for the grain uh, just to produce the grain. I need 275 pounds to produce the stover. So in total, <laughs> that 250 bushel corn crop needs 338 pounds of K2O potassium. That's a bunch. Okay. Then the next thing that we would encourage you to look at is, all right, whatever source of K you're, you're thinking you're going to use, what's the availability? So for example, with corn, it needs potassium real early in the season. Okay. If you're going to put out potash in right now, like for example, we are in the extreme drought area in the United States. When you look on the drought monitor, look on the national drought map. Uh, so we're super dry. Our ground has almost no moisture. If we don't get timely rain and a bunch of it, that K isn't going to be available when that corn crop needs it. So what does that mean? That means if I'm in that kind of situation. I also definitely need to supplement with some liquid. So when we start talking liquid versus dry, the liquid's available today. The dry could be available soon, 
but a bunch of it might not be available for a year. Just depends on how much moisture you have and how much heat you have. Number four, then, we have to ask ourselves, are we on a build program, a maintenance program, or a depletion program? <laughs> so if you've got really high K levels in your soil already, maybe you don't need any more. Maybe you're just, you just want to start bringing those levels down. That certainly is an option, too. But for a lot of us, we're at least on maintenance, if not build programs. And then finally, it comes down to, okay, number one, we said, how many pounds do we need? So we got to make sure we're getting that out there. It's either got to be in the soil or we've got to supply that. But then the other thing is when you say, all right, this base saturation potassium thing you guys talk about all the time, let's just say I wanted to get to 4% and I'm at 2% now. How do I figure that out? Well, it's pretty simple. You just have to look at how many pounds are in your soil today. And if you want to get to four and you're at two now, you just have to double it. Let's say you're at three already. You just take, you need one third more than what you have right now. So it's not very complicated math or anything. The one thing that might be, you might not be used to is just converting parts per million to pounds per acre. Just real quickly, how we do that is in a soil, one acre, six inches deep, that rate weighs roughly 2 million pounds. So to convert parts per million, 2 pounds per acre, you just multiply times 2. So if it was 200 parts per million, that means you got 400 pounds per acre. So it's fairly simple math. Anyway, we can talk a little more about potassium yet if we've got time on the show, but I wanted to get to Jeremy. He's calling in from from Minnesota. Jeremy, how's it going today? Good. How about you guys? Great. I hear you wanted to ask about potassium leaching. Yeah, I'm just curious how concerned you would be. I'm from central Minnesota. Yep. Um, it's dry land, conventional till. Yep. Uh, average probably 30 to 35 inches of rainfall, well, total precip, I guess, with the snow a year. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. Well, and then, uh, it's yeah, like I said, 10 cc roughly is what pretty much the average of the ground is, around 10 cc. Okay. Um, and it. Uh, we had lower levels. Uh, actually, it works out to be about right. That 60 parts per million of K on the soil test is about 2% okay. um, base saturation. And yep. a lot of it we raised up to, you know, 6, six to 8%. So, you know, somewhere in that 240 parts per million. Sure. Um, and like I said, like last year, we averaged 200 bushel corn and 60 bushel beans. And Good. I'm just curious, you know, is it you think a guy can keep it up there as long as he keeps... Uh, you know, replacing, you know, grain removal every year, or would you be curious yeah. or concerned about leaching? Or Okay. Yep. Here here are the factors that we always want to look at. How heavy is the soil? And you said 10 CEC. So we were, we're going to call that relatively light soil. The next thing yep. that we look at is total moisture. So I assume this is non-irrigated, right? Correct. Is that yep. what you said? Yeah. Yep. yep. So 30 to 35 inches of precip, that's about 50% more than we get, but still it's not the 40 or 60 inches some other areas get. But then the other thing that we got to factor in here is the ground is frozen for, I'm going to guess for you, probably five months out of the year. Does that sound about right? Yeah, about right. Yep. We don't, <laughs> Minimum. Yeah, we, we start, yeah, we start planting about probably a month after you guys and yeah, it's, Yep. <laughs> so so what I, where I'm going with this is if somebody is listening to this show in, let's say, Alabama, they don't have this condition we have up here called frost, and that locks everything in place. Well, I mean, you think about it, for five months out of the year, that's almost half the year. So in other words, we're going to reduce leaching by ha- almost half just because of that. So that is a good thing. 
But anyway, uh, do I think you can keep your levels up to the 240 like you were talking about? Yes, I do. Uh, could there be some leaching, especially in a big rainfall year? Yep, there sure could be. But the key thing always is to get crop growing as soon as you can get crop growing and keep it growing as late in the season as possible. Darren and I were just talking about something with uh, cover crops and nitrogen loss. And I just said, well, you don't even need a cover crop if you just actually raise a full season crop. But, you know, if you're going to harvest in August uh, or September and you still have a month or two months of growing season left, well, there's your time when more of this leaching can occur. And I don't care if we're talking nitrogen, sulfur, or like in your, your, your case, potassium. But yeah, potassium doesn't leach nearly as easily as nitrogen, sulfur, or boron. So I'm not super worried about it, but still, I mean, you've got relatively light soil. So is it a little bit of a concern? Yes. And I would say, let's say that we get into a pretty heavy rainfall year early in the season and you go, wow, I'm, I'm a little worried about leaching and there's a bunch more rain in the forecast. I might throw out a little bit of potassium mid-season. I probably won't do that here where we farm very often just because we don't get the kind of rain you do and we have much heavier soil. But in your case, that might end up paying in some of those years, especially with soybeans. And the reason why I bring up soybeans is because soybeans need their potassium much later in the season than corn. Corn needs it early, but soybeans, it's still using a whole bunch of K in late July and into August. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about, like, well, I'm hoping to keep them levels up to 68%, but like you said, lighter sure. soil and yep. not as many parts per million, so don't really, <laughs> with them kind of yields, I mean, anything, it doesn't take long to, you know, suck them down one right. year. Right, right. Um, uh, beans are still broadcasting in conventional till. Once yep. we get them to, you know, that 6 8%, um, we're always, you know, adding 50% for broadcast, but I'm assuming once you get it there, you don't keep adding 50%. Like when you just want to do crop removal. That's right. Yep. Once or, you, you know, for the yeah, fertilizer, I mean. That's correct. Yeah. One, yeah. Once you get your levels up, kind of where you're looking for them to be, and a lot of guys will will be more toward that eight percent when they have light soil like you do, and I would advise yep. that as well. Uh, yeah. Then yep. there's probably no point in overdoing because you don't want to get up to twelve or fifteen percent at some point. So just you know right. keep it in that six to eight percent kind of range, and you should be pretty good. And like I say, you might be wanting to add some mid-season at least try that on a few acres and see how that works for you right yep yeah yep, yep. no problem what about uh uh how concerned would you be about like boron and sulfur and that kind of ground <laughs> well i'm gonna be more, more concerned more concerned than potassium for sure yep right. so yeah so sulfur let's put it this way sulfur and maybe just a little bit of boron, I am probably going to add mid-season, just like I would tell you with nitrogen. Because quite frankly, with the yep. 10 CEC ground, we're going to tell you, hey, that ground's probably only going to be able to hold 100 pounds of nitrogen. Well, on 200 bushel corn, you know darn well, you can't get by with 100 pounds of nitrogen. So you're going to be out there putting some nitrogen on anyway. So usually in that kind of ground, we'd just say throw a little sulfur and a little boron with it to kind of keep those things up as well. Right. Yep. Yep. And actually, I got a question about nitrogen too, but I think I'll wait till tomorrow. I got <laughs> All right. questions about that. So. Sounds good. But, okay. Thanks All for right. the call, Jeremy. Perfect. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks a lot. You bet. Appreciate it. Yep. It's always fun when we get talking about crop nutrients, and there are so many different situations. And here we go. We talked about some variable soils with one producer. We talked about some really light soils with another. It's great to ask those questions and to get get some advice on the different situations that you're going to face across your farm. Today we're talking about potassium. We'll talk about more nutrients on another show.
Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.